0: Hollywood is rated LGBT radio starring your host Rob Watson hey 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 welcome 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 you are listening to rated LGBT radio and I am your host Rob Watson um As always, we have a really great show lined up for you. We are today going to be talking to director Christine Stalakis. Christine is the director of a new documentary that will be released on Netflix called Pray Away. And Pray Away is referring to the concept of Pray Away the Gay, which uh, is the theme of the ex-gay movement, as it were, um, of conversion therapy and uh, all sorts of little um, cottage industries aimed at changing LGBTQ people. Um, We're going to get into that. The film is, oh, my God, outstanding. Um, I just have to tell you, I started watching just a few minutes of it, just, you know, get kind of a feel for it, and I was hooked from the get. It is absorbing. It is um, poignant. The, um, the film builds like, almost like a suspense novel. It is, um, uh, and it is not preachy. That is the other thing that is sort of important to say about it. This is not a documentary that tells you how to feel or what to think about. Um, the subject matter and, and what it goes through. It just presents the stories of the people involved, and we'll talk more about that in detail on the show. But um, it is masterfully done. Um, it is a must-see when it comes out. So enough of the the, the fanboy um, aspect of this, but it is something that, that you definitely, definitely want to see when it comes out. Christine is on deck, and we will get, to her in just a minute uh before that i do have my esteemed co-host brody Levesque, and editor of the la blade and brody has a few breaking stories this week that uh he's going to share for us really quickly brody what's going
1: on hey good afternoon rob good afternoon good morning or good day to those of you listening around the world we appreciate you subscribing and listening in as we do this thing of ours um we had a couple of things happen this week that were really, really good. And then that was capped off yesterday by something that was very, very good. And especially for our trans brothers and sisters, uh, in fact, all of our trans uh, siblings, including the non-binaries, uh, two U.S. federal courts blocked two separate bills that were extremely um, transphobic. In the state of West Virginia, a judge of the United States District Court for the Southern District of West Virginia ruled that 11-year-old Becky Pepper Jackson must be allowed to try out for the girls' cross-country and track teams at her school, which blocks a West Virginia law and uh, basically barring and banning transgender girls and women from participating uh, in school sports. Almost simultaneous with that, about midway through uh, the country in Arkansas, Um, a bill that had created a tremendous amount of grief to the point of actually having people pack up and leave the state with their transgender children. A U.S. court blocked the Arkansas ban on gender-affirming medical care for trans youth, which is incredible. The U.S. District Court for the Eastern District of Arkansas issued a bench decision on Wednesday, which blocks the law that prohibits health care professionals for providing or even referring transgender young people for medically necessary health care. Uh, that law was actually set to go into effect next week on July 28th. Uh, in both cases, uh, plaintiffs were represented by the American Civil Liberties Union and Lambda Legal, so hat off to them. Then, yesterday, Louisiana's Democratic Governor John Bell Edwards, uh, in a press conference, acknowledged the fact that Louisiana's lawmakers in both houses failed to overturn his veto of a bill last month that would have barred trans girls and women from participating uh, on athletic teams or even in sporting events uh, at elementary, secondary, and post-secondary schools. Um, The governor had, uh, in his press conference, noted that he had rejected a play that he felt had no place in Louisiana. Okay, and the governor said to reporters on Wednesday, quote, I would rather the headlines going out from today be that Louisiana did what was right and best. We rejected a play out of a national playbook that just had no place in Louisiana. That bill wasn't crafted for our state. I mean, go read it. Look at the arguments that remain. None of that applies here. He further went on to call the bill mean because it targeted the most emotionally fragile children in the state of Louisiana. We have to be better than that, the governor said. We have to be better than that. In reference point to what the governor's talking about, and as we've discussed on the show over the last basically six months, there are some very anti-LGBT organizations, some of whom are directly involved with what our guests will be talking about today, directly involved who have been using boilerplate legislation to get state houses to pass bills that ban trans kids from basically participating in life. They're horribly transphobic, hateful bills barring these kids from sports, gender-affirming care. And as uh, the line goes from the classic movie of the 1940s, Casablanca, round up the usual suspects. The Alliance Defending Freedom Liberty Council, the Family Research Council, the American Family Association. It's basically a who's who parade of people that have been listed by the Southern Poverty Law Center as hate groups. And many of these people had deep, deep ties to the organization that our guest is going to talk about uh, today. So with that, I throw it back to you. Right.
0: Well, I'm glad that, you know, I'm actually um, heartened by the governor's, uh, words on that. And I, uh, pardon my ignorance, but I assume that he is a
1: Republican. Is that
0: correct? No,
1: he's uh, a Democrat dealing with a uh, Republican majority okay. house and state Senate. Actually. Yeah. Okay.
0: Well, it just, it just, it is common sense. I mean, it's not noble. It is common sense. And I'm, he did the right thing. And, um, I hope that message resonates um, through the other states where this nonsense is going on, I mean, it's a travesty, and it is um, it is mean spirited. It is everything he said, and um, I, I, I hope I hope this wedge issue fails. It is it is based on fiction, and um, you know, just just a horrible, horrible, horrible thing. Um, anyway, let's shift gears to other fiction. <laughs> other fiction that has been um, uh, codified or or put out there as as truth, and that is the everything, every philosophy that is behind the pray-away concept of the ex-gay movement and um, conversion therapy. Um, And I want to go ahead and welcome to our show uh, Christine Stelakis. Christine is director of the new Netflix film Pray-Away. Christine, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you so much for having me
0: i thrilled thrilled to have you and thank you so much for the experience of um your film i I literally was in tears at the end. it just um, oh, no. it and and enthralled for every minute of the film um up until then it was uh, you know and it's the thing that i later after absorbing and thinking and and really taking it it all in was the thing that i appreciated about it was its subtlety because you you never do hit the audience over the head with any concept it's and a lot of the things that happen or said or done in the film i think are going to resonate with individual audience members in different ways because of our own exposure to the ex-gay movement, the PR behind it, the media, all of the things that, that happen um, with it. Um, I want to I back us all the way out, though, um, to something that actually it's a, an experience that you and I actually have some commonality um, around. My uncle um, committed suicide when I was seven years old, and it wasn't until years after that
2: that that. that
0: I found Mm -hmm. out that, yeah, that um, he had an arrest in a men's restroom, um, you know, uh, where he had been involved with another man. He had told my aunt that he could no longer have sexual relations with her. He became alcoholic and, and depressed and ultimately committed suicide. For me as a gay man, I could read the tea leaves behind that that my family didn't necessarily see. And I know the kernel for you in a lot of this is your experience with your uncle. Can you tell us about that?
2: Oh, Definitely. And what a thing to share. I'm so grateful for you sharing that with me um, about your own personal life. Um, And I obviously really relate. Uh, Yes. So I decided to make my first feature documentary about the conversion therapy movement or the ex-LGBTQ movement because of my uncle. He went through conversion therapy when he came out as trans as a child. Uh, He came out during a time in the 60s when every therapist was essentially a conversion therapist. Uh, And he was put on antidepressants at the time, which was a very common of course, now disproven and and shown to be harmful treatment, but a very common treatment at the time. And this experience, as well as his experience of existing in a larger culture of homophobia and transphobia, set him up to have a host of of really, really intense mental health problems. Um, And it sounds like he shared some of the mental health problems that your own uncle went through. So this includes depression and anxiety, um, addiction, uh, suicidal ideations um, and obsessive compulsive disorder and all of these things I have learned through making Pray Away are actually quite common to survivors and to victims of this movement. Um, he also had a really, really beautiful 10 years of, of sobriety and, and great mental health when he was my babysitter growing up and he um, was just a person that I loved very dearly and who loved me very dearly and who I had a lot of fun with as a child growing up in upstate New York. Um, and then as I got older, his mental health declined again. And it was told and explained to me why um, he had been celibate his whole life, why he had all these mental health challenges, um, what he viewed as his quote-unquote gender problem. You know, these things were revealed to me. Um, so he eventually unexpectedly passed away actually about six weeks before I went to film school. And in the wake of his death um, and becoming a filmmaker, I started doing research and really put my filmmaker hat on uh, and and um, expected to find that the conversion therapy or uh, Pray the Gay Way movement was run by, frankly, homophobic or transphobic straight people. Um, and what I found was that the movement is actually run overwhelmingly so, by LGBTQ people themselves who claim to have changed. And it was Mm -hmm. this realization for me that made me understand the depth of my uncle's hope that change was around the corner and also his resulting very deep devastation when change never came. Um, and, And that to me was so important to shed a light on because that is really how power works in this movement. Um, my film documents that a number of leaders have since come out as LGBTQ, um, or we come out in some way, and are now fighting the movement that helped to start and to grow. But the reality is, this isn't a movement of a few bad apples. Um, if, it were, if that were true, the movement would have ended by now. Um, it's a movement of people who have internalized this hatred, this homophobia and transphobia, and are wielding it outward in some ways. And essentially, it's because our culture and um, largely religious culture in this country and around the world uh, sends these homophobic and transphobic messages out to people. Um, We're essentially training new leadership for this movement constantly. And this movement continues into today, which I can talk about a little bit more. Um, But Mm -hmm. that realization really started me on the journey of making the film. Uh, And then we also ended up weaving in the voice of a survivor as a way to creatively hold accountable. These people who, though they are also victims of this movement themselves, did cause harm. Yeah,
0: and I I just want to say up front, um, um, bless you for your love for your uncle, and your work Mm. is such a testimony testimony and monument to him, and you've really, in in a certain way, given him uh, immortality, and I, I just really want to give you Sincere kudos on on, on that. Mm. Um, the, that. The the other thing a with thing the film. To
2: say. <laughs> Thank you.
0: Well, no, it's true. It's absolutely true. And um, and the um, the thing with that I overall found fascinating with the film because you know I've dealt with this concept for decades myself in terms of you know having to fight against that movement and everything, not just fight it in itself, but fight the um, propaganda and the political stance and the, you know, the way it's been used against gay people who have come out, um, you know, for years. And one of the things in that struggle as, a, as an out gay person looking in towards that movement is what the hell are these people thinking? You know, who are these people? And, you know, having to answer for them without understanding them. And the one thing, not one thing, but one thing um, your your film does is it it gives you that information. It gives you that insight into these people and what it was that they were thinking, feeling, and where they were at. Um, I want to kind of, before we go into the film itself, I want to step back, though, because your previous film, The Typist, was about a Korean war vet who was tasked with writing dishonorable discharges for other out LGBTQ men. And, you know, I found a similar theme in terms of people caught, you know, within their own sexuality issues but then sucked up into systems that use that almost against them to hurt other people like them. And can you talk about Mm -hmm. that?
2: that theme and why that's important to you. Well, I am so also moved that you've looked at prior work of mine. I have to say that doesn't always happen. Um, and thank you for doing that. And you actually have summed it up quite beautifully. And, and I actually think the typist was sort of my, me dipping my toes into the exact theme you're bringing up, which, you know, me and my team often call the internalized hatred and homophobia and transphobia of this world. Wielded it outward in this world of the Pray the Gay Away movement. And I do think it frankly comes back to my uncle. I mean, I think a lot of artists have origin stories in the people that they've loved and the people that they've lost. And for me, that's my uncle in a lot of ways. Um, and he believed that being LGBTQ was some sort of sickness and some sort of sin for his whole life in some way. And that was very confusing to me as someone who was a generation younger than him and who grew up in much more progressive communities. um, I also sometimes felt like an outsider looking into his life. And um, the self-loathing and the self-hatred alongside those homophobic and transphobic beliefs that confused me quite a bit. Um, And so I think it's a theme that I continue to be drawn to um, and I think more generally, too, as, as someone who is a woman in an industry where it's still more uncommon to be a director and, and um, female or female-identified, I'm also really interested in the way we all internalize the messages the world gives gives us um, about who we're supposed to be um, and our limitations. Um, and I've found, as being a woman in film, that often you, are, you live this, bizarre reality of those being the recipient of sex of real sexism of not being taken seriously. And then you learn to not take yourself as seriously too. And that combination yeah. is so crappy. So I think, um, it's just something I'm, I'm, I live in my own way. Um, and I, I saw it in my uncle that those internalized messages causing so much harm and so much confusing behavior. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think that that Pra like was a much was me taking the closest step I could to really working to understand his his life um, and yeah, I think I appreciate you pointing out that there's a lineage to that in my former work
0: yeah no, and i'm I'm actually excited about your future work because it, it sounds like you have more to say and to explore there um, and i I think your your insights there are, are really. Excellent and, and brilliant. Um, I want to I wanted to go to the film itself now. Um, one of the big surprises for me as an audience member, because you know I've seen many many documentaries about you know gay people and gay treatment and everything else, and they usually start out with a horror story of you know oh this was really bad and you know you know sort of like that hook to to draw you in. Um, Pray away doesn't do that, but almost goes the other direction. Because immediately you're not in the past. You're in the present. You are riding along and listening to um, an individual named uh, Jeffrey McCall, who is a, quote, unquote, ex-transgender minister who has started a, a, a group called Freedom March as he goes and, and proselytizes and tells his story and in his words, his, his testimony um, to people. It is done completely non-judgmentally. It is, it is, you're just observing him. Um, he also bookmarks the end of the film, too, which is, is an, a neat kind of wrap, but um, really, really powerful. Um, what was what was the 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 reason for starting out with Jeffrey?
2: Yeah, um, that's a really great observation, um, and I can appreciate it. I um, have um, a few thoughts. So, one, I just have to credit the idea to start specifically with that scene. We always knew we wanted to start with Jeffrey, um, and and to start the film in the present day in some way. Um, again, because so many people don't realize this thing continues into the present. Um, and just one thing to say, to share this in the film, but I'll share now, we know that in the U.S. alone, 700,000 people have gone through some version of this. It's, it's just so much more common right. and so much more present tense than people realize. Um, so we knew we wanted the film to start in the present, and I credit my editor, who is an incredible artist and filmmaker, Carlos Gutierrez, um, who also edited RBG and Chavela and so many other beautiful films. Um, it was her idea, I believe, to try a, to start with this scene. And I think it was because the opening scene of a film is really the lens through which your audience will watch the rest of the film. And something I know to be true about this movement, which can be hard for people to hear, which I which I understand, um is is hard to hear potentially, especially if you're someone who experienced severe trauma or death. Um Uh, in regards to this movement is that a lot of people, a lot of leaders have really good intentions and really believe that what they are saying is true. Um, And these are not necessarily people who are like kooky outsiders. You know, these are often relatively mainstream in their own Christian or religious communities. Um, And that, that feeling is so present in Jeffrey. Um, I know he believes that what he's doing is right. I do not think that Jeffrey is an evil person at all. Mm -hmm. I think he has good intentions. Um, I think he's grown up in a very transphobic world. I know that's also true. Um, I do believe that he thinks he's helping people. Um, And um, so all those things are sort of, I think you get that feeling in that first scene. Mm -hmm. And then I also think that scene shows you Yeah, something I think I really learned in this film is that so many of our political and personal experiences are local. Like, we all turn on, you know, the news in our own way, but it's, like, your experience going to the grocery store that can make you feel a feeling for that day. And we start with Jeffrey. He's evangelizing outside of a grocery store, telling people his story of change. And when I was filming that with our wonderful cinematographer, Melissa Langer, um, we were both struck by how many people stopped and prayed with him and really listened to him. And I thought, Oh my, this is really where it starts, isn't it? This is where it starts. You know, every person that's going to listen to him is going to go home. If they have a trans, you know, godson, they've just been given a really complex problematic message about that person that they're supposed to love. Uh, and what love looks like for that person, and um, I think that scene also captures that, just the intimate nature of how these very, very traumatic messages are spread. Um, so, yeah, it's one of my favorite scenes in the film, um, and it was basically the opening for the film from like day one of the edit.
0: Yeah, and that and that comes through very strongly because when the people do stop and pray and 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 plug in it it that has impact that it's not just yeah. – um because he does i mean it, it's like i never once well let me take that back i did once because I'll, I'll talk about that in a second but um i <laughs> i didn't harbor any ill will towards jeffrey in fact the sadness in his eyes in so many of the scenes i think say it all um and the um you know everything about him gives him a way of what is going on inside of him, um, which your the intimacy of your camera captures, but it is what you said is exactly what you said it's where um, you know the the influence he is obviously having that is is so subtly shocking and the one part you capture him on the phone with with a woman who's um, whose child has just come out to her as trans, and she is asking uh, Jeffrey's advice on it. And Jeffrey is telling her essentially to reject her child and how they, and you know, going into the whole thing of, of how her child is part of some nefarious scheme. And, and it absolutely broke my heart for that, for that trans child. That that um, their mother was being sent in not only the wrong direction but a direction that could just devastate them um, and the harm that was being set up there was just huge. Um, did you have any qualms when you, as you observed this going on, of you know, obviously you have to stay objective and behind the lens of the uh, the uh, documentary, but it seems like it would be really hard not to jump in
2: and go, Jeffrey, don't do that. Mm-hmm. It's a great question. I mean, I actually don't think that filmmakers need or should be, a, be objective. I, I think the whole idea of objectivity in film is a conversation, I hate to put it this way, that can like make us spin our wheels without really realizing what we need in film ethically, which I think is research, which I, I don't, right think after you've done your homework about this movement, and I'm not trying to jump on what you're saying at all. I get exactly what you're saying. I just kind of want to start here, that after you do research on this movement, there's no two sides to this. Like, this movement causes harm no matter what, um, no matter how you look at it. Um, And I think that to not have a feeling about that or, you know, a point of view on that would actually be unethical. So I definitely, you know, and Jeffrey knew from the beginning that there would be very critical voices in this film, um, and I was upfront with him from the beginning. And I, I'm actually very grateful to him that he was willing to go on the record and show his work, because a lot of people that practice this do it in secret. Um, so um, for that scene in particular, which is a scene in the film, but you know, is a moment of real life that I witnessed. Um, of course, I felt absolutely. I felt something. Um, When it was happening, it was a very similar feeling to what I described it before, which is, oh, wow, this is really where it starts, isn't it? This is really where it starts. This thing is so much more than a practice. This is a movement. It's a belief system that now this parent is going to, you know, teach their child but also harm their child by, you know. Um, But I think... When you decide to become a documentary filmmaker, you're signing up to also make change through your art. And I thought, you know, I didn't think it was the best use of my energy to individually try Mm -hmm. to stop. Jeffrey, in that moment, I thought the most important thing I can do is capture that this is really happening because I cannot tell you the number of people through fundraising for this film and making this film that told me that it wasn't happening. And this is not just from Mm. maybe conservative communities that are um, in denial that what's happening in their church down the street is conversion therapy. A lot of people don't think it is because we all have a stereotype of conversion therapy being like electric shock therapy, but it's generally like talk therapy or like it looks like a peer-based support group, maybe done by a pastor who's not a licensed counselor. So they don't see themselves as a therapist. But it's also a movement that just teaches people this belief system, um, you know, out of the mouth of someone like Jeffrey into the ear of a parent, like the woman in the film. Um, Right. And so um, I really wanted to document that, that this is happening. This is, you know, and this is happening. And I heard from, um, that's where I was going, that also I heard this reticence to believe that this was happening also from progressive communities, from my filmmaking community even. So that, for me, drove me to make sure I, you know, just kept the camera rolling and captured it versus try to stop one conversation from happening. I also don't think that me right. stopping that one conversation from happening would have, unfortunately, saved that trans child from having a very, very traumatic you know, experience with their mom. Um, because frankly, it's not just Jeffrey saying this. It's a lot of people saying this. So the mom could find right. messages of this right. elsewhere. So it's a great question. It's yeah. not, you know, it's not a perfect answer. I definitely felt a lot in that moment.
0: <laughs> well, and bear in mind, it was essentially a little bit of a rhetorical question because I would have actually been shocked and it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have served a purpose had, had somebody stepped in and done that. I mean, it would have, you know, derailed the bigger picture of what you were accomplishing of. Of presenting this so and it's it's funny because I took the film so personally because it it hit so many points in my life and my own experience and it's mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. a little bit curious how people of different generations and different experiences life experiences even within the LGBT community or without the LGBT community are going to experience it. For example, with Jeffrey, I had a very similar reaction as I did in the 90s when the Newsweek cover came out with John Polk on it. And when I saw the cover in the 90s with John Polk, that was a very big deal because there wasn't a lot of gay media. There wasn't a lot. In any publication you picked up or anything you, you read or saw about us. There wasn't a lot. And so when something came out that really um, confronted the fact that people who were gay were authentically gay or, in fact, that they could just change, which that Newsweek cover threatened to say, um, it was very hard to absorb. And I was looking at this couple, and it was like, this is ridiculous. That is a gay man. That is not a straight married man. That is who I saw on that Newsweek cover. And when I look at Jeffrey, I see a trans woman. I do not see who he is being today. Um, and it, it just was very uh, poignant. And, and for me, it made it, it picked up a through line in the film that I don't know if everybody saw. So here's, here's my long-winded question. What... Are the reactions to the film from people of different generations and experiences for you?
2: Oh my goodness! Very great and very big question. It's it's so hard to sum up, and actually a huge um, compliment to me that you said in the intro to the film that I so appreciate is that we we did that, that, that translated to you is that we did take a lot of pains to edit this film to not tell an audience member what to think or how to feel because. I really understand that depending on all the things you mentioned, you know, someone's age, their own personal experience with this movement, be it indirect or direct, um, you know, their own experience or relationship to potentially being queer, being queer or not being queer, um, is going to have a huge impact on how you take in this film. And I can say that I've absolutely witnessed that firsthand you know, for survivors of conversion therapy who are listening or even for people who are in this movement who might be listening, um, this is a really hard watch. And I know that too. Um, We are working with Netflix um, and also um, with our own team uh, to make sure there are mental health resources available for people who are taking this film in. So if people visit our film's website, we have um, created with um, some of our national partners, the Trevor Project, National Center for Lesbian Rights, uh, and um, a number of therapists a viewer's guide um, for individual viewing at home that really tries to hold people's mental health in mind um, and it has like grounding techniques and breathing techniques and a reminder that you can pause this film at home and take a breath or stop watching it um, mm-hmm. so you know it, that's the reaction for some for some people I've seen them watch the film and it feel feeling in some ways too. and um, it puts into words certain experiences that people hadn't seen put into words before. Um, so, you know, the experience has been um, vast and diverse. I think that's great. And I, I think that, you know, my biggest hope for the film is that this starts a national and international dialogue about the fact that regardless of maybe your individual reaction to Jeffrey or to John Polk or whoever, that this movement, absolutely needs to end. And, um, Mm
1: -hmm.
2: you know, that might come for some people from a place of anger, which I understand. For others, it might come from a place of sadness, which I also understand. But it feels very undeniable to me that this is, not feels, I know that this is undeniably causing people harm. So my hope is that the film becomes like a potential centerpiece of conversation so people can start talking about it. Um, I also wanna say one small thing um, in regards to your observation of Jeffrey. Um, which is we also know that we know that gender fluidity is real. And I would so mm-hmm. urge people who are identifying as X-trans or as a D-transitioner to consider their experience as potentially being gender fluid instead mm-hmm. um, and to not get caught up in using their own individual experience as um, fuel for what becomes co-op, a kind of a co-opted story, I, I've seen this from the political right, to support very, very problematic legislation that um, your colleague also mentioned in terms of anti-trans legislation that we're seeing.
0: Oop. Uh-oh. Oh,
1: Christine dropped. Okay. Uh, well, she'll have to call back in. You know, while I hope, yeah, I hope she calls back in. in. Well, she's hoping, hopefully she'll call back in when she realizes she's dead. One of the things that, you know, she brought out that I think is kind of important to stress. Oh, there, she is. Uh, there she is. Keep and going, I'll uh, just bring her in. I think one of the things that she said, that I and I need to uh, say this as well, um, I've had several conversations uh, on related topics with the Trevor Project um, and some of the drive that we're doing, particularly now as we're looking in places like the United Kingdom where there is a generalized ban against conversion therapy being considered. However, problematically, that does not include uh, a ban on uh, the practice of conversion therapy as it applies to transgender youth and transgender individuals. One of the things that you know we have, have, have talked about, um, Sam Bridget and the crew at the Trevor Project and myself and other people, is that information is, is critical and key here. Some of the things right. that... Uh, you know, Christina's put in her film um, are, yes, they're extremely problematic, you know, for some viewers. But, Rob, as you know, we've had trans kids uh, like Landon, for example, the activist from Houston, uh, who are very, very comfortable in their own skins. Um, and, and, of course, you know, my experience with this uh, goes back to my friendship with Kathy Baldick, uh, my friendship with Wayne Besson, John Becker, uh, as a journalist in queer media. 13, 14 years ago when we were covering NARS, we were covering Exodus International, we were covering, you know, some of the, quite frankly, you know, onerous practices, um, uh, you know, and some of the so-called, you know, proponents of it, uh, including uh, uh, Richard Sacchetti's, uh father, who was actually one of the initial proponents of, you know, of the whole idea of conversion therapy. Um, you know, I, I'll give the filmmakers credit for trying to strike a balance, which is something that, you know, we do in journalism. But yet at the same time, you know, I will admit to having covered on this subject and the people that have promulgated it. I've had long conversations with John Pollack. Uh, Wayne Besson told me the story of the night that he outed Pollack again. Uh, because someone spotted Pollock at a local bar in the Washington D.C. area, and Wayne, at that time, was working for the Human Rights Campaign. Went over there, and here's one of the Exodus types in a gay yeah. bar getting on guys. Brody, so, that's,
0: yeah, that's that's in the film. Uh, Wayne is not mentioned by name, but that that, okay, that well, is I, completely I, discussed Wayne and in I the film. Exactly yeah, actually
1: had that yeah. conversation. So, Anyway, I'll let you go back to your interview. I just wanted yeah. to put that in there, so go ahead.
0: Yeah, okay. I I, I let Brody talk every once in a while, Christine. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm so glad. I'm sorry that
2: somehow we got disconnected, but it sounds like you oh, no, all continued no the conversation that I was starting, so it's all good. Yeah,
0: we. We're, my my biggest fear is dead air, so yeah, we have to have to keep this show must go on. No, I, I, your <laughs> point is is was super super valid in fact it's interesting because I actually got that point. Um, one of the people you interview in the film is vet um, Cantu Schneider and um, who was very much a a, you know, a, a spokesperson for the ex gay movement um, you know she she is very poignant in the whole experience for her you know and her revelation that this was wrong and at the end, but I thought it was really fascinating that she essentially came to terms with being bisexual, which is a concept the ex-gay movement doesn't even entertain, um, that people mm-hmm. have that kind of fluidity that, you know, that they're either choosing one or the other. And, um, so I think your, your point was, was, was huge. Um, I want to shift a little bit to the, the cast that you had there. You had Yvette, you had uh, Julie Rogers, uh, John Polk, who we mentioned, Randy Thomas, uh, Michael Bousset, um, all of which I think were incredibly brave to come out, sit, and open themselves up on, on the whole gamut of their experience, what they did. Um, you know, what they said, what they stood for, and and how they were canted. Um, how did you get them all involved?
2: Oh, that's a great question. Um, the first person that I spoke to um, who was a former leader is Randy Thomas, and he um, graciously introduced me to a number of other people that ended up being in the film, uh, and without – Randy doing that, I I don't think I would have been able to make this film. So I'm really grateful to him for that. Um, And on that first phone call, you know, I I shared with Randy and and was very upfront with him that the reason that I was doing research on this was because of my uncle's experience, who was never in leadership. You know, he experienced Mm -hmm. um, this as a participant in a licensed therapist office. And I will say there are still licensed therapists very problematically that do practice this, but we, know that roughly two-thirds of conversion therapy does happen in religious organizations and institutions um, uh, these days. So just to kind of give that context. But uh, I was very upfront with Randy um, about my own personal experience with this movement um, as a witness of someone else's trauma. And I do agree with you that I think it was very brave of him to agree to be a part of the film. We also did work to... um, creatively hold the leaders also accountable for the fact that even though they both, they are victims of this way of thinking and often of conversion therapy themselves, that their stories and actions also did cause harm. And we try to hold both those truths in the film. Uh, And we did that through weaving in the story of a survivor of someone who primarily experienced the movement from the point of view um, of a participant. And that is the story of Julie Rogers. And I will say mm-hmm. that Julie um, came to the film through um, a really talented um, producer that be- has become our impact producer named Miles Markham, who um, is a conversion therapy survivor himself and uh, has spent about a decade um, in the world of activism on behalf of LGBTQ rights and dignity in evangelical um, and religious um, communities. So, She introduced our team to Julie, uh, so I have him to thank for Julie's participation. And, of course, Julie to thank for being extraordinarily courageous um, also to share her story of extraordinary trauma with us in the film.
0: Yeah, it's her experience, and, I mean, she was so poignant in terms of the self-destructiveness that goes on behind the scenes for somebody going through it, you know, the front of Making sure everything's okay but in the background. Mm-hmm. Um, and I won't I won't go into specifics because I do want I want people to watch this. They need to just experience the film and let it wash over them um, as they're watching. I do want to mention the two people who denied your request for being in the film because I'm really, you know, curious as to what their reaction was and that's Ann Polk and Ricky Chalet. Um, and Ricky was kind of a instigator, um, Behind the scenes of, you know, recruiting people for the movement and setting them up, and kind of like almost like the Godfather, um, is that a fair characterization? And what was what was their reactions to your request?
2: Hmm. Um, in terms of a, a characterization, I could just say that um, Ricky runs Living Hope, which is an organization that continues in Texas today to promote the ex-LGBTQ belief system and to practice conversion therapy. Like a lot of these organizations, I know that he um, and his colleagues do not view what they are doing as conversion therapy because they see themselves as um, working from a spiritual point of view, um, from a religious point of view. Um, And yet, as the film shows you, he acts as a pseudo counselor uh, for Julie and he push forward these disproven, harmful psychological beliefs of why someone is um, LGBTQ, and we explore that in the film, alongside also teaching Julie that this is a sin. Um, so that's how I would characterize Tim. Um, I, you know, what I can share is in the film, which is that they both denied our request for an interview. I would so love for both of them to watch the film and to watch it with, an open heart and an open mind that their work causes trauma and pain. And I think when you're in this world, because there are going to be people who you can easily surround yourself with who are telling you that you are doing the right thing and you are doing a good thing, it can be so easy to go into denial about the harm of your actions. Um, So I really hope, all leaders watch this film and and consider the harm of their actions. You know, sometimes something I think about a lot is like, if these people were doctors and thirty percent of the people that went through their door for the you know one particular treatment for like a knee ache, like were became suicidal, wouldn't that be a huge problem? You know, it wouldn't that affect you as a practitioner, even if seventy percent of people said, oh, it's actually is working pretty well. You know, so I. Right. Um, And we know those numbers, the numbers that I just threw out there, don't capture the reality that, you know, this causes pain and trauma in some form for everyone that goes through this. So I really hope leaders watch the film, and that includes Ricky and Anne.
0: Yeah, it's um, some of the things in the film that were, again, I'm relating through my own experience, and, and this goes to your point that conversion therapy is being done in so many different ways on so many different levels that it's not being called that, but it's still the same concept um, is, and there are actually footages of, of church services where they were speaking to these huge congregations of Christians, you know, telling them the horrors of the, the homosexual lifestyle and, you know, all of that and seeing the faces of all these people in the audience and, hearing this message and, um, this demonization of, of what it is to be gay. Um, and it just, it is such a weird cultural influence. I, I a few years ago I went to a church service. It was an Easter service. I went with my, my sister's family, you know, just because it was Easter and I put my sons in their, their Sunday school and all that. Um, but the church service, a, a large part of the church service was people from the congregation that were came up on stage to show how they had been healed by Jesus from affliction. And of the people up there, um, two of the three were same-sex attraction afflictions. that wow. uh, Quote-unquote, afflictions. And, you know, they were the only, the other ones were, had nothing to do with, heterosexuality or any other kind of sexuality one was um the the minister's own son you know confessing to being disobedient to his father the minister um and then you know and the the um testimonies quote unquote of the the people who were testifying about their same-sex attraction were completely humiliating i mean it was yeah. it was you know you know them sharing in detail their quote unquote sinful practices, and I was looking around at the congregation at the time of, you know, going does Does no one else in this huge room have sex? I mean, does, does anybody want to get up uh-huh. and talk about their sex on this stage like that? I mean, it was just so bizarre. Um, did any of the they don't get into the theology behind it um, in the interviews as much. What what was your takeaway as to why is this such a linchpin for the Christian movement? Mm-hmm.
2: Well, if I can just say one thing also about the experience you just shared, um, which I think is so powerful. Um, one thing I, I really know to be true after making this film is there are going to be plenty of churches who will see this film and say, or see of the existence of this film, and say, well, we don't do conversion therapy here. We don't do that. That's electric shock therapy. We don't do that. And right. um, what your experience that you just articulated um, shows is that unless you are a church that explicitly affirms and fights for the rights of LGBTQ people, in some form or fashion, you will send a message um that being lgbtq is somehow a sickness and somehow a sin and your congregation is going to get that message and some kid in your audience is going to tell their parents that not that they're coming out but they have a problem and their parents are going to try to find them a program and there we there we go you know that's how it happens and just i'm just thinking about the people that were in the audience of the congregation that you mentioned um even if the pastor at that church or priest, I'm not sure, you know, what denomination it is, um, you know, isn't themselves someone who's going to push forward an ex LGBTQ ideology. What message does it send that someone is going up there and saying, well, just like alcoholism, I kicked my same sex attraction. Um, That just, that sends such a specific message. Um, So I think that for churches to truly not support conversion therapy, they've got to come out swinging for LGBTQ folks' rights and dignity. So I just want to say that. Um, and then, you know, something about um, in terms of, like, the ideology or the theology and why this is so homophobia and transphobia is so ubiquitous in Christian communities. Um, I, you know, I'm not a theologian. I don't know if I have a perfect answer to that. Um, but I know the pain that comes from people thinking that their relationship to something bigger than themselves has to come at a cost. And that pain cuts so deep. Um, And someone asked me in an interview earlier today, like, are there, have you seen spiritual wounds from this? Um, And I have seen people just have such, oh, just such pain, such pain thinking that Mm -hmm. they have to, that the only way that they can relate to God or whatever your version of a higher power is, is by denying the central part of themselves. So one thing we didn't want to do in the film was like put the Bible on trial, so to speak. Um, and I, I really respect that people often have a relationship to something greater through religion and through even organized religion. Uh, and what I do know is that for people that want to continue that relationship, um, with a higher power through organized religion, there are communities, there are churches that are totally affirming and fighting for your rights right now.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: and that was something we wanted to show in the film. Um, and I will let those churches talk about the Bible because they'll be much more, um, you know, knowledgeable no. than I will be um, <laughs> about the way in which um, uh, Christian theology can lift up all people and fight for all oppressed people. Um, and I also just want to say that if someone has gone through this and is like, you know what, organized religion is not for me anymore, that's also totally okay. And maybe relationship to a higher power looks like a walk in nature or a brunch with friends, and that's great, too. Um, so, you know, the theology specifically for me is a little bit less of a concern. I really respect the importance of religion in a lot of people's lives. As raised Catholic, um, I come from family that is religious. Um, I respect that. I do not think we should use religion um, as a cover for hurting people. Uh, and I hope that our film shows that this movement hurts people.
0: Yeah, no, great answer. <laughs> I love that. Um, so I wanted to do a little housekeeping. This is uh, coming out on Netflix. What date does this
2: launch? August 3rd, so soon. We're August- so excited. We're so excited with our partnership with Netflix. They've been a total dream to work with.
0: Oh, excellent! Well, it, it, it's a great platform, and for everybody, if you don't have Netflix, either find somebody who does. Netflix is is not thrilled that I just said that, but or go get Netflix, which is what Netflix really wants <laughs> to hear. <laughs> so go get Netflix. Um, definitely watch this film. This is a must see. Um, it'll grab you. It is a human film. It is. It is um beautiful poignant, um, and disturbing. Um, and I actually the one point, um, Christine that you, you you made and I wanted to point that out is there are so many ex gay stories that are horror stories, they're torture, they're sexual abuse, um in, in the guise of therapy and all of that is going out. This is not what that this film is about. It is much more subtle and but not any less um, impactful and in, in, in many times a negative way. Um, one of the points that comes out at the end of the film, and spoiler alert, I'm going to spill it here, is that um, of LGBT, LGBTQ kids who go through this kind of therapy, they are twice as likely than other LGBTQ kids who are already at risk to commit suicide. And so this yes. film is, a, is hugely hugely important. Um, Christine, I've only got three minutes left. What What are your final words for us today?
2: Oh, I'm just so grateful for this conversation. I really hope people watch this film. The more people we can get watching this film in the first week or two of release, the more I know um, of an impact we'll be able to make. Um, I also just want to um, I shout, I'd like a little shout out to some of our, national partners um Trevor Project um who are behind the statistics that you just mentioned they do such incredible research and support around mental health and LGBTQ youth um, and uh National Center for Lesbian Rights Born Perfect Campaign but we're also working with GLAD um, and PFLAG all these organizations are at the front lines of um working to ban this for licensed practitioners um but again because of religious freedom protections in our country to end this movement where it happens the most we really have to have a culture shift um, because um, of religious free- freedom protections. When this happens in a religious organization, uh, a ban that you see pass in your state, it doesn't touch the, that, you know, pastor that's practicing pseudo-psychology down the street from you. We really have to talk about this. We have to bring these stories out into the light um, and make sure that we're reaching the hearts and minds of people that, um, are practicing this. So I really hope people, you know, brainstorm in their own minds and the way in which they can bring this to a community where this can have real impact. We really need that culture shift to end this thing. So thank you so much for this wonderful, rich conversation. I I really appreciated well, this.
0: Thank, thank you so much for everything you do. I, I'm excited to see your future work because I, I really believe in you, and I, I think that there's a lot more to come um, and I definitely believe in this film and I really want everyone to see this it, it is important and tell your friends um, and have watch parties um, but it is it is something that, that you need to see and experience and understand and I think the the point that you just made Christine is the point you know we can win on the legal level um, all day long but if we don't win on the cultural level this stuff will keep happening and lives will be lost. Um, With that, thank you you for joining us this week. Um, We will be back again next week with another really great show. have no clue what it will be, but it will be great, I promise. And we will be, and please do subscribe. Um, We love you, and we love having you here. And now, of course, I want to thank Brody Levesque, um, the editor of L.A. Blade. Please check out the L.A. Blade. Um, Very important journalism happens there every single day, and thank Brody for his work on this show as well. So for all of us at LGBT Radio, (laughs) Rated LGBT, um, thank you for listening, and we'll see you again next week. You've been listening to Rated LGBT Radio.